Welcome to the Gospel Journey Podcast. The Gospel Journey exists to help our people get into discipling relationships that are centered on God's Word and led by His Spirit. Today we're in week 8, 1 Timothy chapter 3. My name is Ben Robin, and I'm here with Jamie Trussell and Bryce Rader. All right, so in this chapter of 1 Timothy, we get the qualifications for two offices in the church, overseers or elders or pastors. Those, you, those words are used interchangeably in the Bible. We know from Acts 20, and then deacons as well, so elders and deacons. And I feel like one of the first things that strikes me about that is that there's an order to the church, and that that order involves authority, and that authority is not a bad thing. Yes, in fact, uh, we probably need to back up to the last chapter just to remember that Paul uh, really segues towards this section by talking about creation and the order that's found in creation. And it's important to keep that in mind uh, because it, it's easy or, or tempting to try to re- reorder things according to uh, our cultural sensibilities if we lose sight of the fact that um, these this ordering transcends culture in a sense because it happened before culture ever existed. It happened at the moment of creation would be Paul's argument when man was created first and then woman. And, and again, just as an aside, that's not a comment on a value. It's just a comment on order of creation. The man was created first and then the woman. So they're equal in essence and value, but they do play different roles. We actually see that in the, the Trinity itself. So if, uh, being equal in essence but playing different roles is somehow demeaning, we have to then also think that the Trinity is somehow uh, a demeaning view of God, which I definitely don't think the Bible presents as as true. So uh, that said, probably the biggest hang-up for our 2018 sensibilities is the fact that the office of elder, uh, by our view here at Harvest, and I think according to the Scriptures, is reserved only for men. Uh, we see that as it is the husband of one wife, an elder holds a position of authoritative teaching, which does distinguish it a little bit from the office of a deacon. And and in that, uh, the order of the church, uh, trying to display the order of God himself or the created order, it needs to be displayed along biblically faithful lines. And that's, that's what we try to do here in reserving the office of elder for man, whereas the office of deacon we would hold is open, which we'll talk about here in a minute, open for both male and female. Yeah, I think it's just a good po- point to make uh, on the front end because it seems like in our day we're so familiar with abuses of authority that the postmodern, sort of post-everything world around us wants to erode any basis for authority at all. Like, authority is inherently bad and we should just have none of it. And if that were true, we wouldn't be able to structure the church the way God tells us to, having elders who have authority in a way that, that members don't, and, and having deacons who have authority to serve in a way that others don't. And so I think it's just, it's just good for us to remember and bring our cultural presuppositions to the table, to the Word of God, to be critiqued and then redefined according to what God says. Yeah, and I mean, two things about that. One, the whole idea of uh, any statement that even sounds like uh, deconstructing authority or or dismissing authority is an authoritative statement in and <laughs> of itself. So it's a it's a implicitly hypocritical movement or idea. Uh, it, that that whole mindset also is incredibly politically active. So somehow it's okay to vote in authority. Um, which again, it's a self-defeating statement. If you want to get rid of authority, you should never be politically active in any realm. 
but then lastly, I would say authority, actually, the, the irony about authority is uh, uh, good authority brings more freedom than it does restriction. And, and while that sounds like that would be counterintuitive, um, it's simply true. So, for example, um, being married to Shanna for five years now, it actually, it's not a restrictive thing. It brings me a whole lot of freedom because I don't ever have to worry again about who should I marry, who should I go out with, what should I do, this, what's this person. I, all that's off the table. I'm, I'm free from ever having to worry about any of that because I'm in a covenant with my wife. And so having that boundary actually gives me more freedom to not worry about uh, lots of other things that I used to worry about as a single guy and felt, you know, almost trapped in. And so authority, yeah, if it's godly and it's, it's, it's biblically ordered, it actually brings more freedom and protection than it does restriction. One of the people that we see here that has authority is the elders. So I want to talk about the elders for a second and the qualifications um, that Paul lays out um, for Timothy, for the church. And so when I look at these qualifications, um, I, I, I see what Christians, all Christians, should be doing. And, and I think that many people might look at this and say, well, that's great for the elders, but I don't, I don't have to abide in these. That's just ultimately not true. The only difference between elder and a Christian is that elder is able to teach. And, and I will say this, that the elders do exemplify these qualifications in a unique way. But again, this is something that every Christian should be taking part in. And, and again, uh, uh, another good point I think that we should make is that elders are, are, are not, don't get in this office and then start um, applying or then start exemplifying these qualifications. When the elders at Harvest we're doing these things, we're shepherding, we're caring, um, we're loving their wives well, we're not being quarrelsome, we're being gentle, not being violent, being hospitable, long before they were given the title as elder. And I think that's very important. And so people out there that aspire to be an elder, that is a great thing, men. And I would encourage you to continue in that and continue to love and continue to care and continue to teach and by God's grace that one day um, that that you would um, that by God's grace one day that you might hold that office. I think that's a good good point, Bryce. Um, and I think as we go down in the chapter, when we look at the qualifications for deacons, we start seeing a lot of similarities between the qualifications for elders. One glaring omission, though, is this phrase, able to teach. An elder must be able to teach. A deacon, on the other hand, does not have that qualification. And I think this might be one of the phrases that, that offers the most uh, source of confusion in our day from this chapter about what that means. I think generally we might come to this text and think that means i got to be able to preach the word on Sunday morning from the pulpit and that's what it means to be able to teach. And we know that, you know, here at Harvest, even in our own context, that that's just not true. You know, there's there's one guy up there on Sunday morning who's teaching the word in that way, and there and all the other elders are qualified, able to teach. It's just not that that phrase "able to teach" means on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. Could you guys help us understand that a little better? Yeah, I would agree. Um, that I think the ability to teach simply means you could sit down with someone, you can articulate the gospel, you could walk through God's Word in a clear, compelling way, 
uh, it does not necessarily mean uh, able to teach that phrase, this idea of a public gift of teaching that we see exampled most Sundays from the pulpit, which is also a good and right right place for that. Uh, If we keep in context here, Timothy talking about the order of the church, the order of the gathered church, that that preaching on Sunday morning is authoritative. That preaching Sunday morning uh, uh, is is something that is is restricted into who can do that because of the ordering of the church. And so, uh, if someone is being in consideration for the role of a deacon, that doesn't have to be brought into the thinking of of can or should they do that because that's not part of the role that Paul. Uh, has laid forth and if you think about elders would be shepherds deacons would be servants and if we want to think through that distinction the shepherds have to be able to teach doesn't mean they have to be all gifted to teach in the same way but they do need to be able to do it and the, the deacons are, are basically your lead servants and 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 so you have your shepherding role and you have this servant role and the the thing about deacon uh, here at harvest is we would say actually is open to both male and female, um, and thing is very permi- very biblically permissible to do, to do so. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier, kind of alluded to that. I'd love to talk more about that, and I think that's really specifically verse 11. The ESV uh, translation says, their wives likewise, but the literal Greek just says the word women, women likewise. So, and Kenan has talked about this at length a couple of times, and it's been very helpful for me personally, and I think for many who listened. Uh, you're either in one of two predicaments. Either all of a sudden, Paul is giving qualifications for deacons' wives in a way that he didn't give qualifications for elders' wives, so that's a little odd. Or all of a sudden, he's giving specific qualifications for women as deacons in a way that he didn't do that for elders. And, and I guess the point that we've we've made here is that he's done that to expose the fact that this office, unlike elder, uh, can be held by both male and female. Yeah, and I think um, the fact that also it doesn't hold authoritative teaching lets it be open. Um, Carrying on from chapter 2. That's right. Yeah. And and also, if you went to Romans 16, and Phoebe and her description, uh, the Greek word being the, the, the female version of deacon mm-hmm. um, and servant. And so... It, it, there are obviously other churches that hold different positions, and mm-hmm. you can understand how they land there. But I do think Harvest has landed on a very biblically permissive and sound position in opening up that office to men and women. And I guess we should also say this is not an essential of the faith. Certainly not. This is not something to divide fellowship over by any stretch of the imagination. So as we move to the last couple verses, we see this purpose statement or thesis statement in the book of First Timothy as we read in verse 15, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So as a purpose statement, Ben, why does he put that in this position in the letter in the middle of it? Well, I think verse 14 is really helpful. I write these things to you so that and we might remember from our series in First John recently that John has a very similar purpose statement at the end of, of that book. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of the living God that you may know, right? And Paul is, I think, doing something very similar here. He's telling us why he's writing First Timothy, and that is so that we might know how God has ordered his church. Yeah, and the metaphors are are important when looking at how Paul even describes the church, uh, this time using a household. 
And so it's a family term. Uh, you know, you know who's in and who's not in your family. Mm-hmm. And so that's important here to remember, too, that uh, for a church to really be properly ordered, you have to have authoritative elders, you have to have serving deacons, and you have to know who's really in the family and who's not. And you know, the way we do that here is, is through membership uh, and covenanting with uh, one another to make sure we know who's in the family and, and who's not. And so uh, you know, we try to, in real time, uh, flesh these biblical principles out. Certainly we may do it imperfectly, but uh, oftentimes people wonder why is membership important and why do I have to be a church member? Well, uh, the goal is we're trying to have mechanisms and ways to make sure we're serious about trying to uphold the biblical ordering of the local church, especially as we've seen exampled here in First Timothy 3. Yeah, I think the household metaphor especially is helpful. Uh, and even just in verse 15, two times, it's the church of God. It's the household of God. You know, a house doesn't build itself. The people in the house sometimes don't even build it, right? And in this case, the household is built by God himself. And so it it would be, I think, wrong and maybe silly of us to think that we come to this deal and it's going to be the way that we expect it to be. No, this is God's house. And so we need to listen to how he would have us structure it and, and how he has built it. And so even specifically on membership, Jamie, I feel like that's a really great thing to point out here. Um, We obviously don't think that you have to be a member of a church to be saved or something like that. Um, But we do think, and one of the reasons that we take such a meaningful perspective on membership here at Harvest is that you're in serious spiritual danger if you're not a member of a church. We're, We're worried for you. We're concerned for your soul because there just aren't checks and balances of church statements of faith and church covenants and um, doing life with believers under the preaching of the Word of God so that you might be made aware of your blind spots that you just can't see. You're not doing life in covenant with other uh, members of the household of God. And so we would urge you, if you're listening to this, uh, that this is a great opportunity for you to um, go to Discover Harvest uh, and, and pursue the membership process here at Harvest. Yeah, and to take the metaphor even further, uh, one way to make a family or household, I think euphemism for family here, uh, dysfunctional is to disorder it. And so like in my house, if my three-year-old and two-year-old start trying to take my role, everything goes into complete (laughs) chaos. (laughs) And so that's why, again, we go back to authoritative office of an elder. We have designed office of a deacon, and we have uh, lay people serving underneath those directions because for a family to function properly it needs to function according to proper order and we see that even in our own our own households so as we close looking at this last verse uh which is interesting it seems a little different just in its language and construction uh no way to know for sure uh, probably an early church creed maybe the church here at ephesus that timothy's pastoring is already familiar with it maybe they're not uh, but just note that paul ends this wonderful section of ordering the house of god knowing that it will still be disordered if we don't understand the person work of Jesus. And so that's where he gets here to talking about the person of Christ, uh, the work of Christ, uh, because if we don't stay centered on that, it doesn't matter how we order everything else. We would still be off and disordered if we miss out on who Jesus is.